have a seat. Our kids can head upstairs to be with our team in Redemption Kids. If you're a new parent, feel free to escort them uh, to their class uh, just to make yourself feel maximally uh, comfortable uh, with us this morning. And uh, wow, so encouraged by our music team this morning. Can we give it up for our uh, team and leading us in, in worship through song? And, uh, you know, we, uh, we try to be intentional with everything we do at Redemption Hill. And, and one of the reasons we sing songs not completely in English, every song, every Sunday, not that that's a super common thing, but it's just to say that we see that our community uh, speaks many languages. And God is a God who loves all people. And so the least we could do is on occasion sing in a different language as an expression of uh, our worship to the God of all people. Well, uh, very, very thankful you're here this morning. If you're new to Redemption Hill, uh, we're especially glad that you're here. So if we could just give it up for all of our first-time guests today. Um, you've come on what we feel like is a very important Sunday. We started last week a Today series uh, looking at current realities in our culture that we need to understand, but we need to speak to as the church, as people who follow Jesus. And today we're going to look at the topic of addiction. And uh, before I share from God's Word, I want to invite a friend out, uh, Joe Reddy. And uh, Joe, come on out. Give it up for Joe. He's going to share with us today. So, Joe, thanks, bro. Um, I've known Joe for several years now. And uh, what I've come to, to learn about Joe is that uh, Joe is a guy who now has a very powerful story. God's done an amazing work in his life, especially in these recent months. And so I just want Joe to share uh, some of his story with you today as an encouragement. Um, and so if you would, just listen carefully as Joe shares with us. So Joe, just first tell us about your journey through life. Uh, God's working in, in, in amazing ways, but life isn't always easy and a bed of roses, right? So Joe, tell us about your journey. All right, so... Um... I grew up uh, in a broken family, divorced. Uh, my, uh, I'm the youngest of five children, um, only boy. And early on in my life, uh, I was exposed to uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, along with that, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, all done through uh, my birth family, uh, my dad's side of the family. And um, very shortly on after that, I was taken into uh, a DSS foster homes, and um, like I said, I was struggling with drug addiction and, um, you know, alcohol addiction and stuff like that, and um, one of the things that got, I got wrapped up into was uh, gang activity, and, and um, that was something that uh, controlled my life from the ages of five to eight, and luckily, uh, through the Lord's hand in my life, uh, I was blessed to be involved and adopted by the Reddies um, at age eight, and um, I'm extremely grateful for them because they are just the sign of the Lord um, in my life and his big plans for me, uh, even though I didn't understand it at the time and didn't believe it, uh, that was something that was big. Um, they're very involved in church, and that was something they made clear, uh, you know, when uh, I was adopted, and I was very skeptical of that because of my past and going through foster homes and people saying that they believe in Christ, but they've put on a facade of, uh, I'm going to be a Christian Sunday after church, 
it's back to the old and mm. whatever happens uh, behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. And so my heart was very hard towards the Lord. Um, I didn't believe that he was a loving, caring God at first. And I know that I've shown that a lot uh, growing up. Um, I know when I was younger, after I met the Reddies, I dedicated my life to the Lord, but it was half-heartedly because I was scared to die and go to hell. Um, so I, that started my path of, um, you know, continuing drug addiction, um, you know, and when I went down that path, my life got worse and worse. Uh, multiple times I should have died, been locked up, uh, facing multiple years in prison, um, and the Lord protected me from that, found a way for me to escape that uh, with very minimal consequences. Um, I was blessed to go to uh, um, a one-year program in 2011 after high school um, for, to get help with my addiction. Um, and I didn't take that program seriously, so I got kicked out and decided to leave. Uh, that started my cycle of addiction again for seven years, wandering the streets, uh, being involved in gang activity and um, running from the police and, you know, really evading my parents and my family because I was ashamed of uh, the sin that I was doing. Um, you know, and then my life got so bad that uh, I ended up losing a relationship with a, a woman that I was with for five years, uh, ended up getting kicked out, um, living in my car uh, for about half a year, um, working, trying to do the right thing, but I was only supplying my addiction. Um, and finally, one night, I was sitting up. I couldn't go to sleep, and I sat back, and I said, I can't live like this no more. Um, so I decided to make a phone call to that, uh, um, that program that I was at in 2011. Um, and when I made that phone call, I was surprised to hear back from uh, the director and the men's PA uh, program administrator, who was my roommate in 2011. And he was surprised to hear from me, um, but I was crying out for help. He wanted to make sure that I was serious about this and not take up space that was... Uh, needed for somebody else. So he made me go through a couple extra hoops uh, just to make sure I was serious. And I went through those with a smile. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say this past year was a, a breeze because it wasn't. It was extremely hard. Um, the first week that I went up there, my parents were on vacation. They were coming back. So I was, you know, I, I missed them. And I couldn't be in contact with them for two weeks, at least by phone. I couldn't see them for a month. So I was worried about my parents and how they thought that I was doing the whole time. And I know that it's been, uh, you know, a lot of prayer that I appreciate from different people in this church and maybe all of you in this church. You don't know me. I don't really know you guys, but you guys have been praying for me, and I'm thankful for that uh, because without your prayer, I wouldn't be standing here today. Wow. Um, awesome. Thanks, Joe. Man. So t tell us, um, just really thankful for your vulnerability and transparency. Um, you said that you entered, and even when you were adopted into the Ready family, you were skeptical about church and Jesus, and, and understandably so, right? I think anyone in your shoes would have been the same way. Um, what, what has it been over this past year that caused you to step into following Jesus? 
So this past year, um, the first four months was pretty much uh, learning about if I was willing to make friendships with people. Uh, it's called the foundations in the program. Um, so I did that, had no problem, I'm a friendly person. Uh, I always greet people with a smile and you know, I have a lot of friends. Um, second part of it was inner healing and inner healing is where we dig down and figure out what the core of our issues are and why uh, we did what we did, turn to substances or whatever, it could be sex, uh, money, whatever it could be that you're addicted to, why you went to that. And um, during that time, I had a lot of anger towards my birth father, I still do. Um, and I was open about that uh, when I was up there and we went through a couple different exercises, the broken bridge exercise, which is pretty much an exercise for uh, like the earliest relationship you have in your life where it's fractured and causes you to have pain. And I believe that that was my, my father uh, relationship with him um, and moved on to forgiveness. And I wasn't willing to do forgiveness. Um, I was very, very angry at him. And um, even halfway through the, the exercise, I told him I needed to take a break um, because I'm not ready to just do a check mark next to somebody's name and say, I forgive them if I'm not. So I, I took some time, my phase mates prayed for me, and um, the whole time I was putting a lot of faith in the Lord. It was either I was going to take a step forward and say, I put all my eggs in this basket and believe that he's going to meet me where I'm at, which is broken and hurt, and he's mm. going to comfort me, or um, I'm going to run away from the program and go back to what I once did. And so the Lord always met me. Uh, it wasn't instantaneous, but the Lord always spoke to me through people there. And that just made my strength and my, my uh, faith with him um, ten times stronger every time, you know. Wow. Love it. Uh, so, so, Joe, just tell us maybe a couple of ways that, um, you know, Jesus is bringing his change to your life and he's changing your story. What are just maybe a couple of things that stand out? Um, like I said, the Lord, um, he's really done a work in my heart. Uh, he's... Um, He's moved me to want to go and get baptized this past August uh, and show the whole world, whether they were Christian or not, that I was turning from my past life of sin and um, shame. Um, I'm not afraid to stand up and say that I'm a Christian and I don't care what people think. I used to be ashamed and hide that under uh, you know, a blanket and say that that's, uh, that's something that you know, that's only for me to know about and not the Lord or, or anybody else. Um, I'm willing to pray for people. I'm willing to be vulnerable and lay everything out there for them. Um, the Lord just pretty much tells me, you know, um, on a daily basis, he reminds me that it's a, it's a gift to be standing here today. Um, you know, and I don't take that for granted. Um, I try my best to walk in his light and, and stay on the same path as him, um, being an encouragement to whoever I come in contact with. I don't know if that does it. Oh, man. That's more than two. Yeah, that's beautiful, beautiful. Hey, let's give it up for Joe. And um, I got to tell this part. I got to tell this part. So um, it was a year ago before Joe went to his man mansion. 
And uh, one thing about Joe, you know, Pastor Reddy's always told me this, is that uh, he, he respects people in the church, even though, you know, he wasn't all in with Jesus, he would come. And, and you came a few Sundays before you went uh, to the program in New Hampshire. And I can remember Joe sitting in the very back, and after one service, I just walked over to him. I just felt like God gave me just one word to speak, and that was the word of surrender. And, uh, and that was my prayer, and that has been the prayer of his family for years, and, and many who have met him in our church. And, um, and so it's amazing that God has brought this man to that place and radically reshaping, changing his life. What's your favorite verse? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it states, uh, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. I believe that that's, that's what Yeah, that's it. You got it. You got it. Go All right, so Joe, thank you, bro. Thanks for sharing your story. Amazing job. Thank you. Very good. Well, um, the, the hope of, of today and, and my prayer is that Joe's story would be multiplied a hundred times, a thousand times. And, and not, okay, are you ready for this? Not just in a generic sense. You know, like Christians, we pray for these kind of lofty ideals, and we should, right? But, but, but we have to come to the place where we're saying, God, I want to see it, and I want to see it on my watch. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to see it right in front of me. I want people that I know having that story. And so that's what today is all about. This is so crucial because Joe's story is not the story of many people. In fact, the weightiest reality when it comes to addiction and substance abuse is that it not only devastates lives and brings destruction to families, but it also, in many instances, brings death. You may not realize, but we are in the midst of a national crisis. Last year, over 72,000 people died from overdose. That is more than the American casualties in the wars in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined just last year. And he's like, how is this happening? Well, well, you know, drugs have been an issue uh, for years and years, but, but, but there is also, there are many factors, and I can't speak to them all today. I don't even understand them all myself. But what I do understand is the prevalence of prescription pills and painkillers that then often is a gateway drug to heroin, and now heroin is laced with fentanyl, and fentanyl has 100 times the power of morphine. And that's why if you look at this chart here of the overdose deaths in Massachusetts, they have skyrocketed over the past four or five years. Nearly 2,000 deaths in our state alone. And we just have to come to the place where we say, look, it's time for us to wake up. It's like if anyone should care about this, if anyone should be speaking out about this, if, someone, if anyone should be offering help to those around us who were struggling, then it should be us as those who love God and follow Jesus. And, and, and just to hopefully help this hit home a bit, um, 
If you were to go to one of the vigils that our good friends at Method Overcoming Addiction put on each year, they actually do two each year, um, you would hear name after 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 name of not just people who were struggling with addiction, but who have died. And if you would be aware enough to look at their pictures on the screen and do the math from their date of birth to their date of death, you would find that most all of them are dying in their 20s and 30s. This doesn't even include the reality of alcohol abuse. Over 15 million Americans struggle with alcohol abuse. That's why AA meetings all over greater Boston are at overflow capacity. And so this is a real problem. It's a real crisis in our land. It hits very close to home for those of us who live in the city of Boston. And, and, and this would just be a Sunday of despair and a Sunday of discouragement if we just looked at the stats. But what I want us to do is to look to God's word this morning. Because God offers a path out of addiction to the point where we can stop seeing people die from addiction, but we can actually see addiction's death. And I want us to turn to the book of Psalms and Chapter 16, it's a song actually. These like songs we sing. These psalms are songs that the people sang to God. And it's not written expressly about addiction, and yet it's loaded with potent truth to help us wrap our minds around how we can see addiction die in our midst and even in our own lives. And so read along with me or listen carefully as I read these verses for us. Here we go. It says this. A mictum of David, he cries out, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always, always, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Before we get into five 
steps that will lead us to addiction's death, I want to say a few things, all right? Number one, this is for everyone. This is for everyone. Yes, we're going to focus on substance abuse and drug abuse, okay? But let's not rush over the fact that everyone in the room, Pastor Tanner included, is tempted with sin, struggles with sin, and we are steps away from addiction if we're not there ourselves in a various form. And so it's not just drug and alcohol abuse, but what about sex addictions, including pornography, gambling, shopping and compulsive spending, or maybe some of the more respectable addictions, you know, the the ones that we don't like really, you know, care about too much or call out or there's no stigma attached to them and yet we're addicted all the same food caffeine I mean we do live in New England and have you been to Dunkin Donuts lately those iced coffees you know what I'm saying it's just like come on don't be handing out cards that say you're addicted to you know tomorrow but it's just the facts um, sports exercise tv internet gaming how about this one smartphones So, so what I want to ask is that we would all be responsible listeners. This message is for us. It's not for them. It's for us. It's for me. And the third thing is, is this, is that in his love, God wants to set us free. Like God wants to set every person free, and he wants us to find the life that he offers us. That's what this psalm is all about. And so how will addiction meet its death? No matter what the addiction may be, how will addiction meet its death? Number one, it will meet its death when we cry out to God for help. You heard Joe tell his story. Cry out to God for help. Addiction is a nasty and debilitating reality. Ed Welch defines addiction as this. He says this, addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance. Think the word change there. Like even bad consequences don't bring change to our lives and leads us to further estrangement from God and we could also say from other people. And here's one thing we need to understand. Because of the estrangement, because of the shame, because of how addiction wants to defend itself against truth. I mean, if you go to an AA meeting, you'll hear that even in AA, they they talk about a restoration to sanity. Like, Like addiction makes us insane. It makes us irrational. It defends itself against the truth, the truth about us, the truth about our world. We don't want to hear it. And that is why those who battle addiction usually battle in isolation. They don't want to bring it to light. They don't want to ask for help. This is why this step is so important. We need to cry out to God for help. But when, listen, when we get to that place where, where we descend so low that, that we are, are desperate and we realize we, we, we really have to have help. Uh, what I love about people struggling with addiction often is after there's that struggle, there is then the rea- realization that they need help. 
right? We need help. People struggling with addiction are oftentimes some of the most humble people you will ever meet. They don't, they don't think of themselves higher than they are. They, they think of themselves with humility. And that's what it takes. This is what's going on in this psalm. Look at what it says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. When the storm is swirling around me, when everything is chaotic, God, I'm coming to you. You are not just the higher power that I'm seeking. You are the highest power. You are the all-powerful one. You have power over everything. And, and if, if this storm in my life is going to be calmed down, it has to be because in you I find my refuge. And this crying out for help to God is rooted in the goodness of God. Look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is a radical statement of humility. And for everyone who like, sees God for who he is and sees themselves for who they are, then like we're, we're just all saying this. Every good thing in our life is a gift from God. God is good. He is the source of all good. And so if there's any good in our life, it comes to us as a gift from him. But we have to come to that place of humility to, to cry out and to ask God for help. It is the place of surrender that we talked about. It is the place of saying, I don't have the power in myself. I don't have the goodness in and of myself. I need an external power to come into my life and an external goodness to help me do good things. So this is where it all begins. We come to God open-handed, ready to surrender the control of our lives to him. And when we do that, what we're saying is, God, you are my strength. You are my power. You are my light. You are my satisfaction. You are my salvation. Cry out to God for help. That's number one. But then as you do that, all right, as you do that, it's so important not just to simply do that alone, okay, but to find other people who can walk this journey with you. And so we not only cry out to God for help, but number two, we seek support through a caring community. Look at verse three again. David talks about the saints in the land. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And what you need to understand is that David is not just saying, okay, like, I'm just going to surround myself with some people. He's, he's not just saying, I'm, I'm just going to pull some people in that might, you know, like, be able to help me. No, he's, like, he's talking about specific people who share the same values. They have the same vision. They're actually going to help him on his journey and not harm him on his journey. There are seasons in an addict's life when the best thing they can do is forsake the set of friends that they were hanging out with before. 1 Corinthians 14.33 puts it like this, bad company corrupts good character. And this is so true for us, and no matter what's happening in our lives, bad company corrupts good character. And conversely, Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And David is saying, like, I'm surrounding myself with wise people. I'm surrounding myself with people who are going to keep me focused on where I need to 
continue in my journey. The power of community. This is one of the the beautiful uh, pieces of AA. I went to a meeting with a friend this Wednesday in Stoneham, and then I went back on Friday to be a learner, but also to try to learn ways that I can be a supportive person in the lives of other people. And you know, there's that awkward moment when everyone is going around, if you've never been to an AA meeting or know how it operates, like uh, this was an open meeting, so there were, like, there, were, there were 70 people, 70 people, and everyone's, my name is Tanner, I'm a, and everyone else is saying alcoholic. And so I just didn't even know how to respond. It was just like the most awkward thing for me. And so I just said, uh, my name is Tanner, this is my first time, I'm a sinner. And everyone just kind of like looks at me and smirks and is like, I did my best, you know what I'm saying? Because, because it, was, it, was, it was amazing. Um, but, 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 but hopefully that level says like, hey, this guy's no better than us. Like that, that, was, that, was the, that was the message, right? This, this guy's no better than, than us. But, but what I loved is that over those two experiences, four different people said these same two words to me, keep coming. Keep coming. Now, clearly, they think like I'm struggling with an alcohol addiction, which is fine. Like, I'm not worried about that. But uh, this is like, keep coming. Same, like, all walks of life. Some have been sober for years and years. Some just a few days. Everyone's in the same fight. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. Everyone's speaking with vulnerability and, and encouraging one another, offering mutual support. It's part of the power of AA. And we thank God for programs that, that help people out of addiction no matter what the program is, right? But at the same time, the church is also a powerful community, but it adds Jesus very specifically and explicitly into the equation, And so, so this is the kind of community we want to be. This is the kind of hope-giving and healing environment that we want to create as a church that is saying to everyone in our community, no matter what's going on in their life, hey, look, this is a safe place for you. We are not perfect people. In fact, we are so imperfect that we just, who we are by God's grace and nothing more. There is no good in us. There is only good in him. So come on in. You won't find judgment here. You won't find holier-than-thou like looks or conversation. No, like we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same journey. This is part of the beauty of our community groups. Listen, like the church is not just the church on Sunday, but we're talking about church on Monday and church on Tuesday and church on Wednesday. This happens through our community groups. Community groups are smaller groups that meet in homes of 8 to 16 people where we're going deeper relationally with one another to support one another in the journey through life, but also to help one another journey with God. And so I said, get in a group. We had 144. Pastor John corrected me. I thought it was 143, but he didn't count a person twice. All right, He updated that. 144 people, the most we've ever had in groups. And I'm just saying, like, if, if you did not have the opportunity or didn't even know about it last week, like jump in a group this week. Let's have 170 in groups this week because we're just, 
wanting to, to support one another and journey through life together as a supportive community. Now listen, these, Pastor John's excited about that, I'm glad, um, 170, this week, come on, do it, Jesus, thank you. Um, all right, so, so, so these first two steps, cry out for help, find a su- supportive community, all right, these first two steps are critical then for the next three steps, all right? So, so just see how this works. First, cry out to God, first and foremost. Second, we find community that are going to support us in this journey of God's design for us. But then number three, listen, we must recognize the cost of empty pursuits. Recognize the cost of empty pursuits. Look, look at what it says in verse four. The sorrows of those, the sorrows, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. This is speaking of idolatry. Idolatry is when we're running after valuing anything more than we value God. Whereas we should be pursuing God above everything and saying, God, if you were the one thing that I can't live without, all of a sudden a substance or an experience becomes the thing that we can't live without. Ed Welch speaks to this in his excellent book titled Addictions, Banquet in the Grave. And he he talks about this descent into addiction and, yes, idolatry. And he says, this is how it works. It's like eight kind of pieces of a conversation that people articulate. And even if they don't realize they're articulating it, they're articulating it with the way they're living their life. How does it go? It goes like this. Number one, I don't like the way I feel. Sometimes addiction simply begins with a a simple moment of discontentment. Because you heard Joe's story, right? Because of the pain. Because of what's going on around us. We're we're tempted into just a one-time experience because we don't like the way we feel. We, We want some kind of pleasure to be delivered in our lives. Number two, we say, I want to manage my world in my way. So we not only act out on our selfish desires, but we begin, are you ready, to play the role of God in our lives. My world, my way. And then we say, you know what, I like this. I mean, this is what I've been looking for, the next pill, the next drink, the next needle, the next screen. I want to keep doing this. Start small and then grows. To the point where we then say, this means so much to me. I love it. I love it. This, these simple practices begin to hold a powerful sway over our life. I mean, perhaps the better word for addiction, according to the Bible, is slavery. Slavery. That's what we're saying, like break every chain. God, we need you to break our chains. Because when Jesus showed up, you know, the dude that loved people so much that he died for them. He also was very truthful, and he says, whoever sins is a slave of sin. Whoa. Maybe we don't like to hear that, but if Jesus said it, I'm buying it. We're slaves to sin. But then he goes on, and he doesn't stop there. He says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so this, this, this 
descent in, into addiction, it spirals into uh, loving it and wanting more and needing more of it, right? Like we believe we're in control until life becomes out of control. And these desires turn into a dependence that is physiological, emotional, and even, yes, spiritual. Have you been there? Are you there now? Even to the point where we would say, you are my God. You know what you're saying? Tina, I don't say that. I don't feel that way. What do your actions say? Has that experience become a functional savior in your life? Where when you need comfort, you go to that thing. When you need some, 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 some pleasure, some satisfaction in your life, you go to that thing. That's your God. And then we say, this hurts. I've been betrayed. I want it, but I don't want it anymore. And when this happens, listen, when this happens, as, as verse 4 says, it brings sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. Sorrows multiply. Pain multiplies. Feelings of worthlessness. I'm just listening to the conversations of people in the share and people speaking up after the share was over on Wednesday and Friday afternoon and they're saying, I, I had my own personal hell. That's what addiction's like. I felt worthless. I hated my life and I hated life itself. If I had the courage, I would have taken my own life. That's, like, that's how low it gets in these depths of addiction. This doesn't include the damage that it does to our loved ones. As one mother said after my daughter died, I saw it as clear as day. They're not only destroying themselves, they are destroying us. So we need to recognize. Recognize the cost of empty pursuits. And we need to, with, with David, what's going on with David in verse 4 is he's not running after another God, but he's saying, look, whatever they practice, these, these blood offerings, like, they practice that, I'm not touching it. I won't even speak their names. It's a picture of not even flirting with it. You know what I'm saying? This is like what Paul says in Ephesians 5.3. He says, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Oh, yeah, those addictions. Those addictions. Recognize the cost of empty pursuits. Number four, and this is where we start really stepping into some hope. It's not just enough to say, I'm going like, to forsake this. I'm going to put off this. But, but they're like, so many people think that's religion, by the way. So many people like that think that's church, right? Like It's like church, list, do's and don'ts. The pastor is going to tell me what I can't do this week. And as I've said before, I'll say it again, I'll keep saying it until I'm dead, all right? If that's all Christianity is, I retire today. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with that, right? Because it's not just what we're not supposed to do, what's going to destroy us, but it's what God has invited us into that we take on that brings us life. So we seek sobriety, listen, by setting God before us. 
We seek sobriety by setting God before us. Look in verses 5, 6, and 7. Look at this. God becomes, when we align ourselves with God, God becomes our chosen portion in our cup. In other words, God is our satisfaction. These are imageries of a meal, right? It's like we eat and we're satisfied until we get hungry again. And The psalmist is saying, like, I'm satisfied by God and God alone. That's where ultimate satisfaction lies. And not only that, but God holds my life. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. In other words, like God is my provider. He's the one that gives me what I need. And not only that, okay, God is also my counselor, verse 7. And so let me just say, including any words you would ever hear from me, what, what matters most, what we need most, is not the words that someone else would say, but what God has already said. This is where life is found. This is where hope is found. This is where truth is found. This is where freedom is found. This is where light is found. And so all of this, I think, is summed up in this this one one, uh, statement in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Wow, how would your life be different this week? Just in everything. Your family your relationships, your marriage, your workplace. God is before me. I'm living my life before the presence of God. Changes everything. Changes absolutely everything. This is the the ticket. This is the secret. This is how we win the battle of whatever assails us, okay? Is that when God is set before us, he changes our, our thoughts and our emotions and our desires and our affections, how we think, what we want, what we love, what we chase after. You say, well, well how does this work? Help me out. It sounds pretty good. How does it work? Here's how it works. To conquer a sinful desire, you need to find a greater desire. To to remove the desire for something you deem valuable, you need to find something else that is more valuable. You follow? I set God before me. The one who is of infinite worth infinite value. The one who gives me satisfaction every moment. The one who gives me joy every moment. The one who gives me his peace from anxiety and everything else and every fear. Boldness in the, in the, in the place of, of fear. This God. This God. Wow. This is what Thomas Chalmers was talking about a, a, a couple centuries ago. When he, when he wrote this, this, this uh, sermon, it was actually a sermon. I don't know if my, probably no one will ever be talking about my sermons in 200 years. That's fine, okay, because we have this, guys. And this is what he said, all right? This is what he said. There is not one personal transformation in which the heart is left without an object of ultimate beauty and joy, all right? The heart's desire for one particular object can be conquered, but its desire to have some object is unconquerable. 
It's like we're, we're always going to be going after something. We're always going to long for something that's beautiful and valuable. So that's, that's, that desire is unconquerable. But we can conquer the desire for something that doesn't ultimately satisfy, like an addiction, how do we do it? This is how. The only way, listen to this, you might want to write it down. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Wow. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. So like that, that, that drug, that drink, that, that next dessert, the next time I pick up my phone for the 30th time today, I need something stronger. I need something better. I need something more valuable. I need something that's worth more. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger again. I am the light of the world. If you, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness again. I am the resurrection and the life. The road you are traveling down is destruction and death, but if you come to me, you will find life. We seek sobriety by setting God before us. And then listen, and this is just all tied together here, right? It's just all tied together. We settle for nothing less than joy and life. We settle for nothing less than joy and life. You see, Jesus said, the thief, the thief, it just is an imagery for, for this spiritual war going on and, and Satan who, who works to what? Still kill and destroy. That's what the, the thief does. That's what our enemy does. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is God's plan for you. This is what God wants for you. No matter where you are in your life, God wants you to have life now and life forever. There is life to be had in this life. Did you know that you can be dead even while you live? There's life now, but then there is life after life. There's the life that God wants you to have forever. And this is what the psalmist is talking about at the end. He says, now, therefore, and by the way, everything that, that he is about to say is predicated on what he just said. God is my refuge. God is my counselor. God is my portion. Because of all that, because all of that is true. Now, check this out. My heart is glad. My whole being, like from, from the tip of my toes to the top of my head, like my whole being is rejoicing because I have found life. Like God will not let me ultimately perish to the land of the dead or, or see corruption ultimately, but because I'm in his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is what God offers us, and this is what God offers us, not just in a generic way as a generic gift, but this is what God offers us through Jesus Christ. This psalm, these words, point us to Jesus, who not only died for all of our wrongdoing, for all of our shame, for all of our pain, for all of our sin, for all of our addictions, 
but he overcame death by rising from the grave, showing that he has the power, that he is God, that he can free us from everything that he says he can bring his freedom for in our lives. And so my invitation to you today is to find, listen, a new addiction. (laughs) To say, like, God, you are so good. I just want more and more and more of you. It's just like today I'm living for you, even tomorrow I'm living for you. And the next day, my life is yours. I'm surrendering over to you. I'm going to keep crying out for help because this journey never ends, right? I'm going to cry out for help. And I'm going to seek supportive community. And I'm going to see the, the, the emptiness of these pursuits. And I'm going to put you before me that I can have life and joy every single day. This is the invitation. And I hope, I hope, no matter where you are, you will not turn it down. So what I want to do is this. I want to invite our, our music team to come up. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. And just as we did earlier, we're going to sing some songs. We're going to, we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going, to, we're going to sing some songs about God's presence with us and how that he can break the chains in our lives no matter what those chains may be, no matter what is holding us back. God can bring us his freedom. But as we sing these songs, what I want to invite you to do is to come and receive prayer. Perhaps you're struggling with something. No one's going to know what your deal is. You can feel free just to come and receive prayer. Perhaps it's not you, but you know someone that's really struggling with an addiction. And you want to say, hey, I want to pray for them. And maybe, just maybe, today is a day that you're saying, you know what? I want to surrender. I want to surrender my life into the hands of God. I'm crying out to God for help. I want to find everything that I need in him. You can do that today. Please respond as we worship and sing. However God leads you to respond. Let's let's stand and let me pray and we're going to worship and sing together. God, we thank you. We thank you for stories that don't have to stay the same, but that you are the ultimate story writer and story changer. And God, we ask... We ask, God, that you would write your better story in our lives. And so, God, would you, even in these moments, help us to respond in whatever way, if we need prayer, if we want to pray for someone else, even if we want to say, like, today is the day I'm surrendering and finding life through Christ, freedom in Christ. Help us to respond today as we sing and worship you. Pray in Jesus' name.